0: Good day this is free city radio i'm stefan christoph in montreal this is the 184th edition of the program thanks for tuning in on the broadcast this week we will continue our series looking at the community organizing labor organizing efforts at the immigrant workers center in montreal canada that focused on the L'amour garment workers. So this is a group of garment workers in Montreal's textile district that were facing mass job losses in the early 2000s. Um, And there was a campaign to support these garment workers as their jobs were being outsourced. Um, They were uh, being outsourced in the context of the company L'amour Inc. based in Canada, looking for a cheaper context for labor and these jobs were outsourced to the global south and there was massive layoffs and at the same time in response to this layoff reality there was an organizing campaign for just compensation for these workers many of them had worked there their whole working lives and very quickly their jobs were evaporating. And so we thought it was important to look at the realities of how deindustrialization affected a group of garment workers in Montreal and the community organizing response to this through the Immigrant Workers Center. I worked with researcher and activist Lauren Laframboise, uh, who is involved in the project Deindustrialization and the Politics of Our Time, based at Concordia University in Montreal in the History Department. And uh, we did this series of oral history interviews about the L'Amour garment sector workers and the campaign at the Immigrant Workers Centre to support them. This week, we will hear from activist Mustafa Hanawi, who was part of this campaign and the organizing in Montreal's garment district in Chabanel. So here's our conversation.
1: So uh, Lamore Inc. is still a company that exists to this day, um, and more Inc. is was a major garment uh, manufacturer in Montreal, and more, uh, actually, more broadly in Canada. So, um, prior to the closure of production, Lemore, uh focused on the production of socks uh, and sports socks. So it was uh, what L'Amour had. Focus on so one statistic is a one out of two sports socks sold in uh, Quebec um, was actually made in uh, Lemoore, so and they were outsourced to Canadian Tire, also to Walmart, so it was a major supplier. Uh, the workforce was roughly about 500 workers, mostly. Uh, at that time before the closure was, um, an older generation of immigrants. So a lot of people who worked there had worked there up to 30, 35 years. Uh, you know, so these were first generation immigrants, but fairly well established. Some weren't, um, and so what was happening in that building, um, in the Lamore factory, the issues that workers faced, uh, there was quite a number of issues So prior to the closure. So one of the things that, you know, a big issue that workers faced, that when you think about the garment industry 100 years ago, was that, um, so they worked on a quota system. Uh, so they were paid by piece rate, and um, even when they had finished their quotas, especially the night shift... Um, they weren't allowed to leave the building. The building was locked. They were locked into the building. And if you actually think about the origins of International Women's Day and the fires that took place in the garment uh, factories where workers, women workers were locked in, it was a very similar c- scenario and risk. And when um, so that was one issue that workers faced. I mean, another one was uh, dealing with dangerous chemicals, Uh, doing dyeing. And then the big issue that came about and the reason why we began to work with them more was that um, they'd begun systematically laying off uh, sewers, dyers. So all the people involved in the production of socks uh, were being systematically laid off by the company. Uh, And in effect, it was a closure, but it wasn't a closure. Uh, And, uh, you know, nearly 500 people had lost their jobs except those in packaging. Uh, And, you know, the other issues that people faced was that uh, workers didn't have a real union. They had a management union. Uh, And um, so workers did not receive any severance, uh, collective dismissal, compensation. Uh, Anything that workers usually get around a closure because L'Amour laid them off in piecemeal over a longer period of time to avoid the law. And when they try to bring things up, they realize that they had a fake union, that they had a management union. Uh, And in the mission statement of the union, it said our union supports uh, any decision taken by L'Amour to remain competitive in today's global market that was in the mission statement so i mean those were were definitely some of the issues i mean workers uh recounted you know eating their lunch at their sewing machines um having to meet high quotas the wages were not particularly high uh and were you know the minimum standard for the industry uh so there was quite a bit of issues, but it was the closure that um, and the layoffs and the way that they happened were the major issues that workers sort of uh, confronted.
2: Thank you. Um, And so how, so you talked about this kind of gradual process with the layoffs, but how would workers find out about the layoffs and how were people kind of reacting and starting to suspect that something bigger was happening?
1: Well, I mean, it started off with one worker who came to our office who said? You know, I just got laid off. I'd been there thirteen years. Uh, I just got this letter. Uh, you know, two weeks of notice. That's it. You know, and what else can I do? And it and it's an interesting thing because, um, you know, if you're a garment worker, it's a very particular skill set, right? It's a non. I mean, it you can transferable but not that much right you're you're a sewer right or you're a dyer or you're and um so it's very hard for people to really deal with that because they would have to really learn a whole new skill set or kind of have a um you know a lower paying or a lower skilled job um because you know at that time the entire garment industry was collapsing right and so workers just found out individually and the way that happened. And I remember meeting that worker, I was like, well, obviously you have more rights if there are other people in this similar situation. And so what had happened at that point, we had a meeting, I remember a week later, and we had a group of maybe 20 workers in that room. And I said, well, we also just got laid off. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, we started putting together like a calendar and a list of workers, and we realized that they literally just laid everybody off under one week of the... So in the Quebec labor law, uh, if uh, there are much more rights for workers if 100 workers are laid off within a two-month period. So they would lay off 99. And so then they wouldn't qualify for uh, eight weeks, eight weeks of severance. It would be eight. Or 12 weeks of severance plus they would have to have like uh, a real notice they would have to provide a transition committee there's a whole set of rights and obligations the employer must do when that happens and so they just they they knew what they were doing and they just shh, under one literally under one um so workers were really upset because they had given their whole lives you know literally um uh, you know some of the people on the wall here that you can't see because there's audio, uh, had been there 35 years. It's their entire working lives. And they were just given two weeks of notice. And it wasn't what was more sad about the situation that workers were upset about was that the company was actually profitable. And they were just moving their production to Bangladesh, to India. And so literally workers were packing their sewing machines to the places they migrated from. So people were, of course, upset, right? And at that time, Le more was even expanding. It just wasn't, uh, uh, it was expanding into other types of garments, sportswear, lingerie, uh, larger contracts. So it, was, it wasn't just becoming a smaller company. It was growing. Uh, and so obviously they had the ability to retain their workers. But it was just all in the name of profit
0: often when people would like imagine a workplace in quebec a garment sector workplace there would probably be like an image of what happened at the turn of the 20th century in terms of like garment factories and you know you mentioned mustafa the origins of international workers day uh international women's day and you know organization of garment sector in new york and montreal maybe some of the sort of points that you Uh, talked about about how workers were like locked in during the night shift wouldn't come to a lot of people's minds when they think about garment sector today but it also sort of brings up this point about like how did workers communicate their reality to the IWC because these are also workers largely who fell outside of like the Quebec labor system if we talk about big labor unions you know, there's this idea that in Quebec, a lot of workers are protected by, you know, a a pretty serious labor movement, but these are workers that fell outside and had to sort of communicate the issues they were facing to the IWC that was totally outside of the big union um, sort of umbrella of process, political and economic process in Quebec. So could you talk about that dynamic a bit? Definitely the, the union movement uh, for these workers, I mean, it
1: was for us, it was a process of like trying to get them the support of the labor movement, right? So one of the things that we did, and it was one of the first moments where we built that relationship, that long-term relationship with CSN, Conseil Central. And I remember that we took the Lamore workers, we were invited to um, a meeting of the Conseil Central Regional for CSN and, and Manon Perron at that time uh who was our link through Priscilla Bitar and we began to build that relationship with CSN, uh, invited us to the meeting and it was at the time of the reasonable accommodation debate and CSN had been had taken a position at that time uh, you know it supported a partial ban of the hijab and certain jobs and and it was, you know and it was and the women we were bringing to the meeting were all you know, these small women in hijab, and uh, they were standing in front of this hurly group of um, security guards at the casino who were on strike, and we didn't know what the reaction was going to be. But once workers told their stories, people were crying. It was a standing ovation, because people were like, you're locked into your workplace? This is what's happening to you by your employer? There was a standing ovation unanimous support for the campaign. Uh, They paid for a bus to go to Quebec City. So, in a lot of times that campaign was really important for the centre because it sort of broke the ice with the rest of the Quebec labour movement in terms of what the work of the IWC was doing and who we were working with. And also Quebec Solidaire because it was a motion in front of the National Assembly, right? Because it's not only just the strength of the labour movement, but it was during the great financial crisis, right? So there was two things happening at that time. And then, so you had workers in the lumber industry, which most of it was going into home construction in the U.S., being overly supported by the Quebec government. We need, uh, you know, a compensation package. Workers need to be compensated. They need our support, financial support immediately. Yet these garment workers who are mostly immigrant, low wage, non-unionized, represent the same economic output. So if we think about it on a big scale, the same economic output, two percent of the GDP of Quebec, you know, even the garment industry might be a, a sizable workforce as well, was you know, still almost nearly a hundred thousand workers, was being completely Sideline, And I think that was for, obviously, political and racial reasons, right? Like, these workers could be invisibilized, but those in the lumber industry are politically important to us retaining political power, right? And, unfortunately, uh, outside of CSN, there wasn't that much union support. Where there was, I mean, there was, you had layoffs in under other factories, and I remember um, Gilles Duceppe was actually leading one of the marches against some of the layoffs in Montreal. Definitely there was this divide um, that you could see, and it was palatable in the experiences of the workers at that time. And while it wasn't perfect, I think uh, we were able to sort of uh, break the ice in terms of saying that these workers, or immigrant workers in general, are important. Even though there wasn't much of a a large-scale campaign to say, let's save the garment industry, let's subsidize it, because that was a a state-led decision made much long ago, right, to let it just collapse, right? Um, And that was clearly intentional as money went into other sort of high-value industries or sectors, right? AI, artificial intelligence, tech, video gaming right? at that time. But I think the, the, the labor question is, is so important because if there was a real labor movement, could have there have been those jobs here? I think absolutely, right? I think it's a political decision. It's not, and this was our whole point in the campaign. You know, these people represent, there are 500 workers who represent almost 100,000 workers in Montreal who lost their livelihood. This is a tsunami right? This is, a, this is a tsunami, but it's man-made, right? This is a, na- a natural disaster.
2: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so maybe you can tell us a bit about the kind of specifics of the L'Amour campaign that the IWC did. So did you guys hold meetings? What did that kind of look like?
1: So the campaign, I mean, it was a great campaign, and so it was really like a sort of a step-by-step, and it was, you know, and, and you know, it started off with one person, you know, and and eventually we had a meeting and, and 20 workers. So the first step was trying to figure out actually how many people got laid off, who works there. Can we really go after this collective dismissal thing? So we did workshops. And eventually we got to a point where we were meeting every week on a Sunday evening here in Cotenege. And we had 100 workers. And we were dividing the room into languages and interpretation into, like, Tamil Punjabi, French, and um, it was really an amazing time because you had 100 workers in the room willing to come every week and, and build spokespeople and leaders. And so, you know, we held workshops with other groups over employment insurance and getting them employment insurance. And then we made the decision at some point, it's going to be political because we're going to get refused, right? Like, it's not, they had a fake union. They're going to, we have to go to the tribunal. Sinest isn't going to accept it. And then, so our strategy was like both a legal one and a political one. So I remember we had our first demonstration in front of Sinest on Valentine's Day. It was like minus 30 and it was like uh, L'amour, love. So it was like we used we played on that theme and workers came out and then we demanded at that point, once we had we'd gone, the legal strategy was go to the tribunal, but then Uh, they had the law firm that McDonald used to bust the union. At that point, they threatened to sue us. And uh, we got jittered feet and also at that time you know, we had a volunteer, just graduated lawyer who's an incredible lawyer. There was no point in really trying to uh, and trying to pursue it. So we said, and with the workers' agreement, that we just got to focus on the political angle to get Better severance for all textile and garment workers, and so we did that, and that, and you know we held a demonstration uh, in Quebec City in front of the National Assembly. Um, we demanded to meet the Minister of Labor, Sam Hamad at the time, which we were able to, and with Amir Khadir, the MNA from Quebec Solidaire, uh, to bring our issue, and eventually we won, and they got access. But unfortunately, it was for older workers; so they had to be fifty-five or over. Uh, but it did give them financial compensation, uh, retraining, and certain things. So in a way, it was a political victory. We lost the legal battle because our line during the whole campaign is that there's the spirit of the law. This is ridiculous. The company knew it was going to lay off everybody, so you can't say there's not a collective dismissal. It's a collective dismissal. You you just you you just you waited and like ninety nine, not a hundred. So. Uh, what about the spirit of the law, right? And that's what we were constantly trying to put out in the media. So, and one of the things, you know, during the campaign as well that we focus on is really sort of giving people capacity, right? So the spokespeople, training, that they were doing all of the speaking and, and, you know. So that was really the the bulk work of the campaign was really just consistency that workers were really in, in lead of the campaign and that we were just supporting their organizing and, and providing the resource, but it showed the strength when it was done collectively, not individually, right? Because if you, you look at it, there was the real possibility if one had a, a kind of a, a frame of mind that this person was a victim. When that worker came in and said that this person's a victim. And, um, and if that person is a victim, they just said, "Well, you know, we'll get you a lawyer and we'll go to the Sennas," as opposed to saying, "This is a collective issue and you need to bring more workers on board."
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to individualize the problem. Exactly. Yeah. And so our
1: strategy was constantly to show that uh, not an individual issue, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't, and in this time it completely worked because I think we were able to be there at the right moment.
2: You talked a bit about the legislative framework, so I'm wondering if you can talk a bit more about the limits of the legal frameworks around collective dismissals and if, in your opinion, there would be a way to, to change it to make it capture these um, types of dismissals or if there are broader sort of structural issues that are at play here
1: there There are broader structural issues at play, and there's definitely companies are manipulating the way the the legal frameworks exist now around collective dismissal mm-hmm. so um in an era where flexibility remains kink, mm-hmm. a lot of companies want to shed workers mass amounts of workers at low points. they want the flexibility rehire them when they want. That's been you know. Uh, the framework of employers, right? So you'd use temp agencies, you use seasonal workers, and then a lot of these, then you're outside of the uh, the guise of sort of collective dismissal, not just like the case of Lemoore where you had a stable long-term workforce. So the question is, and I think as a society is that why is a company laying off or shedding its workers, right? That's got to be the starting point. Uh, is it really the lowering of production? Uh, is it simply to maintain some kind of flexibility, uh, to appease shareholders, uh, sh- to, to, to show profitability or to maximize profitability? So I mean, I think the legal framework is go- got to fundamentally go to not just the processes of the layoff, but why are workers being laid off
0: mm.
1: from a company? Right? So in other European countries, maybe not around dismissal, but around other issues. So in Belgium, uh, you can only use temporary work if a company can demonstrate that there's uh, a very particular need to expand production. Right? So there's a, the, the reason why is in the law. The reason why isn't in our law. Right? And so... Um, because then you can get at the spirit of the law right so then it's like if you you know you're you're laying off workers to remain profitable if you're laying off workers because there's lower production uh and that this is pre-planned so regardless of the numbers these workers should be allowed to participate in a collective dismissal program right and should be given the rightful severance right? And because in bankruptcy, it's clear. Bankruptcy, they can go to the federal government through the program that offers certain wage compensations for companies that go bankrupt. And the cases where it's not bankruptcy, there sh- the protections should be provided, should be more broad.
2: Just a really small clarifying question around the compensation. So you mentioned that it was um, older workers that got compensation. Was it only... Uh, this kind of older generation of workers, or were was everyone entitled to the same degree of compensation, retraining programs? Was it like early retirement benefits or whatever?
1: Yeah, so it was mostly the way the uh, emploi Quebec framed it is like early retirement benefits, uh, so starting at 50 or 55, and then at the time also retraining through emploi Quebec. Right, so if you wanted to go back into the workforce, certain skills. A lot of our members said, "Well, you know, at this point, what am I going to, you know, do retraining? And no one's going to hire me. I'm going to be 60, right?" So I don't think a lot of people participated in the retraining program. So it, it worked like like most emploi Quebec programs, and so uh, it provided early retirement until people started their old age security. So, I mean, it, it was good for the majority of workers, but there was a small minority of workers. That that, that wasn't the, the case.
0: We only have a few minutes left, but in thinking about, like, the analysis that you've laid out and the challenges that workers face to deal with legislation, to deal with the labor union reality, in the sense that a lot of these workers were not able to access support initially. Um, there is also a lot of creative tactics that the IWC used, you know, creative protest, um, meetings in different languages. Um, so any thoughts about um, the way that the IWC has been able to sort of keep up uh, in terms of the analysis of these, you know, new uh, labor conditions, but also the protest tactics necessary to address them, and, and also the cultural understanding necessary to mobilize in a context like you described?
1: Well, I mean, I think the, the, uh, the lessons or, I mean, is one is that you start where workers are at, right? And that I think is, you know, what workers, language workers speak and, uh, um, uh, their, their life experiences and doing things in other languages is a given. It's a no brainer. I think supporting people in the process of building their leadership, I think is, a for us is like a pillar of what we do Uh, I think uh, seeing things uh, not just uh, in moments but seeing things in a bit of a longer-term way that uh, workers uh, you know there's an old saying the working class is right even when they're wrong and you know, to me, I interpret that is that even if workers come up with a bad idea or that you might not you might think it won't work, uh, it 's important to go through that process because people actually just have to realize it itself, right? If they had faith in the legal system, that 's an important part of the process for workers to see it themselves that the legal system actually doesn 't work for workers, right and that political mobilizing is important, right? So that's a big part of it as well.
0: That was a conversation with community organizer Mustafa Hanawi of the Immigrant Workers' Centre. I host and produce Free City Radio. I'm Stefan Christoph, and I'm based in Montreal, Gioge. We air weekly on CKUT 90.3 FM at 11 a.m. on Wednesdays, on CGLO 1690 a.m., also in Gioge, Montreal, on Tuesdays at 1 p.m., On CKUW, 95.9 FM in Winnipeg at 10.30 p.m. on Tuesdays. On CFRC, 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesdays. On CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria, British Columbia on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. and Saturdays at 7 a.m. On MET Radio, 12.80 a.m. in Toronto at 5.30 a.m. on Fridays. And on CKCU. 93.1 FM in Ottawa on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. We are also a podcast. You can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just look up Free City Radio. Our archives are at soundcloud.com slash radio Please tell a friend about the program. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll speak to you next week.